What's poppin', y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. In today's episode, we got a lot of trade talk, we got some injuries to discuss, and a lot of other stuff around the league. But before we dive in, I want to remind everybody at home, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. Today is a special day. Today is a day where we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And because of that, nobody has school today. A lot of people have work off. Um, and we got a bunch of NBA games that start very early. So in today's podcast, we're going to get in, we're going to get out, and I'm going to allow y'all to go on and celebrate and enjoy the day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Before we dive into the basketball stuff, though, just to emphasize the impact and importance of Dr. Martin Luther King's life and his contributions to the world, I am going to leave y'all with two quotes from him. You know, um, one of them, the first one is, let no man pull you low enough to hate him. And it's a very short, simplistic, beautiful quote. And I take it as, you know, two, two, two wrongs don't make a right. And in today's world, in today's climate, I think that that's something important that all of us, including myself, should have constantly in the back of our minds. You know, a lot of stuff is happening, a lot of BS. And it's very easy to react or to try to get even, you know, um, in, in today's world without knowing exactly what somebody's going through. And I think a, a lot of things revolve around understanding and again in the moment in the heat of the moment it's very hard to have that type of discipline and mentality but if we can try our best to put our 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 best foot forward in those type of situations the world would definitely be a much better place and the last one that i'm gonna leave y'all with before we dive into the nba talk is if you can't fly run if you can't run walk if you can't walk crawl whatever you do you have to keep moving forward And I think there's no better quote, um, again, in in times like today, where a lot of people have dreams, aspirations. A lot of people sometimes feel stuck. Like I said, a lot going on in the world. We just a few years ago came out of a pandemic where the world was kind of on pause. But no matter what, we just got to keep fighting and finding a way to move forward and progressing in life. You know, um, that's just something that I try to live by, even even in other terms um, and mentalities of just getting one percent better each and every day. But as long as we're moving forward and showing progress, uh, then there's growth. And, and growth is not something that is always major and, and overnight uh, or these huge leaps and bounds. So I'll leave y'all with those quotes. Do what y'all want with them. Um, but for now, we can dive into the NBA talk. The first thing I want to discuss real quick before we get into, you know, all of the trade stuff that we love to discuss, especially when it comes for me. I love trade talk. That's probably one of the best times of the year. Um Somebody was like, yo, P, when are we going to have draft talk? Like, we want to hear you speak about the draft. Well, something that's been on my mind that's related to the draft is the Memphis Grizzlies, right? So, obviously, they they missed Ja for the first, what, 20 games, 25 games, and it was significantly felt. You know, they also don't have Steven Adams for the year, and they struggled. There were some things that we saw um, that we were able to, to take as progress. Desmond Bain looked real good. As a number one guy, he was doing his thing. But as far as the team aspect, they were they were a lot worse than any of any of us projected. That's number one. Number two, Ja Moran comes back and his teams look like they can make some type of play in back in push for the playoffs, which was extremely impressive considering how bad they started the year. And it allowed me to understand how good this team still can be. And it was very disappointing to hear the news of Ja. Um, being out for the rest of the year and now 
on top of Ja being out for the rest of the year, Desmond Bain just had an injury um, with his ankle where it's expected for him to miss the next six, week, six weeks. So now with them being 14 and 25, 13th in the Western Conference, there's no Ja Moran for the rest of the year. There's no Desmond Bain for at least the next month and a half, which in my mind tells me he we probably won't see him for the rest of the year, potentially. It really depends on the type of way that the, the Grizzlies feel and, and how they want to handle it. But because there is no real rush for him to get back because you don't have John Morant, I could see the Memphis Grizzlies organization being forward thinking and realizing, hey, there's only so much we're going to be able to do without John Morant. Let's not have Desmond Bain come back and rush yourself too early off of an injury. Let's really babysit this. And we're going to pack our, our, our fold our cards and really accept the fact that this is not a year that we're really going to have one of those years. And I think I think there is light at the end of the tunnel for that. I think this is a situation where this could be looked at as a blessing in disguise. This team, like we just saw, still has enough in their core with Ja. Desmond and Jaron Jackson and then you add in Marcus Smart don't know how long he's going to be there or how they see him for the foreseeable future but he does fit the grid and grind type mentality and we've seen some other guys David Roddy has shown some flashes Vince Williams just got a contract extension because he's shown some flashes Xavier Tillman has done some things eventually you'll get Brandon Clark back um, next year or whatever there are still some elements here for this team to bounce back rather quickly next year this isn't them for the next foreseeable future. This team still has a strong core and a chance to play high-level basketball um, in the foreseeable future when they're back fully healthy. But this team does have some holes. And the major hole that I see is that wing spot. Because Desmond Bain isn't the prototypical 6'7", 6'8", wing, because we all know because of the social media memes and jokes, he doesn't have the crazy long wingspan or anything like that. For the most part, their front three could be small, depending on how they want to play going forward, whether it's Ja and Marcus Smart in the backcourt and then Desmond Bain at the wing. If you bring off Marcus Smart from the bench, then what do you have? Vince Williams at the three. I like some of the basketball that Vince Williams has been playing, but for a playoff team that Memphis is trying to be like they've been before and to replace Dylan Brooks, I don't know how much I believe in that. But if they fold the cards for this year, we're looking at a team That's a legitimate playoff team that could potentially have a top seven, top eight, maybe even top five pick in this upcoming NBA draft. And the reason that that is significant for me is because this is the type of draft where a team like the Grizzlies could really come up. And what I mean by that is this isn't like last year's draft where there's guys that you look at and it's like that those are the gets, right? These guys could be those type of guys. And I know this this rookie season for some of these guys haven't been what a lot of people projected. Um, you know, Scoot was a guy that was extremely sought after to be the face of somebody's franchise. It's still very early, but his rookie years had uh, his ups and downs. So far as Vic and Chet have been the mainstays, Amon Thompson has had, uh, Amin Thompson has had a slow start to his rookie year out there in Houston with some of the injuries, Asar and the Pistons. You know, Jarris Walker has barely played. Anthony Black is on a playoff team with the Magic, but he's, you know, playing his role. Um, Brandon Miller, the, the Hornets have been a mess because of LaMelo's injuries and whatnot. So there's been some some ups and downs in the round, but there, there was a lot of top-heavy star power that a lot of people saw in last year's draft that I'm not getting that same type of feel in this year's draft. 
this year seems like a draft that has a lot of complementary players. A lot of players that you want, you want to add to the cores. So, like, if I'm the Detroit Pistons, I'm not looking at this draft to get my guy. I'm looking at this draft to hope that I can put pieces around Cade. I'm hoping that Cade is my guy and this draft can find me my number two or my number three for my core. And if you're a Memphis Grizzlies team that has a core already with Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, this is a wonderful, hypothetically speaking, this is a draft where let's just say the Memphis Grizzlies get a top five pick and they're able to get Cody Williams out of Colorado, a wing that can come in and off the rip, we have a legitimate role for him. We know exactly what we're trying to do. And we slot him into that situation. Just like his brother J-Dub with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know what I mean? I look at this type of draft in that way. And I think this could be, again, a blessing in disguise for the Memphis Grizzlies. Because there's a lot of guys in this draft who I think have high value. And their value goes up tremendously when you're putting them as a complimentary piece next to somebody. When you're looking at this draft and you're like, hmm, I'm trying to find the, the face of my franchise. I'm trying to find the best player who's going to be my number one on a championship team. That's where I start to get shaky. That's why I think you look at this draft and you're like, oh man, this is a weaker draft class. As far as complimentary players who can come in and be the second, the third, or a high-quality role player next to your star, I think this is a wonderful draft class to have that with. And because that's the big hole that the Memphis Grizzlies have, it's perfect that they can come in and draft a guy on a low contract instead of going out on the market, whether it's free agency or the, uh, or the trade market, and trying to bring in a $25 million, a $30 million, $35 million contract when you have already paid job. Bain is paid. Jaron Jackson is paid. You have Marcus Smart's contract. So if they can go and find that missing wing piece or front court piece through the draft and have that player for the next three, four years on a rookie scale contract, that's perfect for them, in my opinion. In my opinion. And also, the other thing that you have is you can always trade the pick. The the Memphis Grizzlies own and control the draft picks for their future for the next, I don't know how many years. They've done a really good job of balancing and keeping their draft um, capital. So you might have a situation where you go into the offseason and Brooklyn is really, really trying to figure out what they want to do. Maybe you could call up Brooklyn. Hey, we got multiple first-round picks for you. But not only that, we also have a top-five pick. You can get a top-five pick instantly, plus some draft capital over the next foreseeable future um, for, for our future picks. And you go and get a Mikael Bridges, who's on, who's on a very friendly contract, in my opinion. And if you are able to swing for the fences and get a Mikael Bridges, and you you know Ja, Bame, Mikael, Jaron Jackson, you're lining up something special. Because the thing about Brooklyn that a lot of people are talking about is, oh man, Brooklyn, it doesn't make sense for them to make a trade because they don't have their own pick. Well, if you're Memphis and you fold your cards and you are able to give them a top five, top seven pick. That's the pick that they're 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 playing to not let the other team get who I think is Houston, I believe, owns their pick. And so now that that's real incentive for the Brooklyn Nets, in my opinion. So I'm looking at the Memphis Grizzlies and I'm saying, man, it's very, very tough that they're dealing with an experience with so many injuries because this team is an exciting team where they're rocking and rolling. I'm a big fan of Desmond Bain. I really do love Desmond Bain in his game and I love to see him constantly progress. Um, obviously, Ja Moran is box office. 
um, and is one of the most electrifying players and guards that we have in the league today. Jaron Jackson just won Defensive Player of the Year. We know what he can do. But if you if you're able to bring in a nice young wing, like I said, that can complement this core on a rookie scale contract, that's a win. Or if you're able to land a top five pick and you're able to flip that with some of your other draft capital that you've been smart with to land a Mikael Bridges type of player, the Memphis Grizzlies can quickly go from being one of those teams that had like a very disappointing and unfortunate year to being like, oh, man, that was actually a blessing in disguise that catapulted us to a much higher level and higher ceiling than we previously had. And I love that. I love that. When you, when I think about this draft, um, like I said, a lot of people want to know my thoughts and my opinions. Obviously, there's still a lot of basketball left as far as college basketball um, before we get to the 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 draft. It is it is coming up. The, the time is flying. We're damn near already at All-Star. So before we know it, we'll blink and we'll be in the playoffs and the, the draft lottery will be right around the corner. But my overall outlook on this draft class is that I don't know. And obviously nothing is certain. Nothing is guaranteed. That's usually when you find the stars, the draft classes or, or the draft spots where you think, oh, there's no stars here. There, there's usually stars there. So, you know, Nikola Jokic, second round pick. You don't think that you're drafting a future star, but of course, that that's the guy. Draymond Green was a... Um, a late pick who I, I think the Warriors probably thought they were just getting a good basketball player. Turns out he's one of the, the, the big parts of their core that led them to a dynasty. Jimmy Butler was a late uh, first round pick, I think pick 30. Desmond Bain, who we just talked about, was pick 30. You know, there's there's guys all over. But from what I know and what I see, I truly believe that this, is, this draft class isn't... Um, not good or not talented or weak, as some people might say. I just think it's important to know what you're getting. And I think there's nothing wrong with high-quality, high-value role players. That's predominantly the NBA. There's more role players in the NBA than star players. And you can't win a championship without high-value role players. You can't, unless you're just going to Golden State Warrior, four All-Stars, two MVPs, <laughs> Unless you're going that route, which we all know is, is is not anything that's going to be done again, probably for the next, I don't know how many years, if ever, probably won't ever be done again with the rules that the NBA is implementing. Um, the next step is understanding what type of draft classes um, is 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 entering the next phase. And I, like I said, I love Alex Sar. I think Nikola Topich is really good. And I would love to see him with San Antonio next to Vic again to compliment Vic. Um, and it doesn't mean these guys can't be all stars. It doesn't mean these guys can't have, you know, their own accolades or, you know, have their own high level careers. It's just that I really view a lot of these guys in this upcoming draft as somebody that you place next to your guy. So San Antonio, they have a good job or a good chance to land that next piece to Vic. This is a good bridge draft for them. Because right now I'm looking at Vic and then I'm looking at Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, and then you have Jeremy Sohan fitting in however he can with the rest of his development. But if you're able to now in this upcoming draft, and we're getting a little bit sidetracked, but still, if you're able to find that guy that can go between Vassell and Vic as your two, like a Topich, then I mean you hit the you hit the you hit the jackpot. Now you have a real legitimate core. Same thing with with Detroit. I don't know what Detroit is going to do. 
I don't know where their mind is at or anything, but I know they just really need talent. And if you have Cade, and if you're looking at Cade as your guy, you still have Duran, you have Ivy, you have a Sar. This would be a good draft if you could get a Alex Sar. You know what I mean? If you could get um, a Cody Williams yourself, Jacoby Walter. These are all guys who, again, I don't look at and I say, man, that's your star. But man, I say, if you get any of those names, they can come in next to Cade and compliment what you got going on. You could put together a real legitimate core because I feel like a lot of these teams that are struggling, they just have a bunch of pieces that are scattered around. This draft could bring that key piece in to make the puzzle in place a little bit bigger and a little bit more better. So that's my mindset um, as far as this upcoming draft. I tied it in with the, with the Desmond Bain injury, and I think for Memphis Grizzly fans, that would be my outlook on it. Hey, unfortunate season for us. We fold our hands. We fold the deck. We pray that they take their time with Desmond Bain and babysit that injury for us to stockpile um, you know, our losses to potentially move up the ladder on that draft board because I'm telling you, there is something big that can brew in Memphis if they can land a significant pick. And I'm looking dead at the at the Brooklyn Nets like, hey, y'all don't have y'all draft capital. Y'all don't have a, a incentive to lose. We have one right here. This is a top five pick that could kickstart y'all rebuild and really get y'all something to get going and give us Mikael Bridges because y'all have something over there. That don't look like it's going in the direction y'all once thought that y'all may could have had. And I'm I'm keeping that on the back of my mind if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, one of the other things that I want to speak on before again we get to the bulk of the episode is something that we kind of discussed on through the wire, uh, or excuse me, numbers on the board. Uh, but it was it was just for a bit, and I think it was more of a, a rant from Kenny, um, because he's the the Bulls fan or whatever. Um, and it's a Jerry Krause booze. And we, like I said, I spoke a little bit about it on on the uh, numbers on the board podcast when we when we brought it up after Kenny's rant. But I think it's a good conversation for us to have. I think these are the, the type of conversations that the basketball community and the basketball world should start pushing, because I've been I've been saying it for the last few few years or whatnot um, on the podcast that NBA fandom is hitting some levels that I think is amazing and I think it's great and it's pushing the game to higher levels and it's making our game worldwide, international. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's phenomenal to see the growth. But to me, there is also a line that, that gets crossed. And the Jerry Krause situation is is a prime example. And for those of you that may not know um, or you might not know the real details, the Bulls last week um, played against the Golden State Warriors. And during the halftime of that game, they had a ceremony, you know, a, a ring of honor. And they were honoring a lot of a lot of great Chicago Bulls players um, in their history. You know, Artis Gilmore, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, uh, Jerry Salone, rest in peace. Michael Jordan, obviously, Phil Jackson, people who played important parts in the Bulls history and conducting them to be a historic franchise. Um most most importantly around that 90s run obviously and one of the names that was mentioned was Jerry Krause he's the GM he's the person who put all of that together he's the guy who hired Phil Jackson he's the guy that goes out and get Pippen and Rodman and you know um Jordan if you want to credit that because Jordan kind of fell in their lap or whatnot but you know he put the thing together he and he deserves his respect he deserves his credit and you know as y'all know 
the last dance documentary didn't really paint him in the, the greatest light because that was something that was obviously built around Michael Jordan and his legacy. And it was it was made to make Michael Jordan look exactly who he is. Michael Jordan is the best player of all time. He is the GOAT. But it definitely was something that kind of brought up all of these stories and everybody had these positives. But then there was these negatives. And in Michael Jordan's story, you didn't really hear many negatives. They, they talked highly about Pippen and different things and what made him so great and share some of his story. But then they also brought up some things about Pippen that didn't really paint him in the best light. They brought up some things about Dennis Rodman that we loved and, and that we championed. But then they showed a side of certain things in his story that maybe wasn't so spectacular. They brought up Jerry Krause. They showed a little bit of his positivity. And then they showed a lot of the things that maybe rub people the wrong way and didn't really paint him in the greatest light. And because of that, Chicago Bull fans have had this agenda or this issue against him specifically um, after this documentary. It's always been something that's been there. It's always something that's been in Bull's hearts and minds. But it really feel like that documentary reignited it to make it at a higher level. And it just started up this emotional um, emotional past that Bulls fans had. Again, people in Chicago have always known this. It's always been something that's been around, but it's never been nothing that's been a big deal. It just is what it is. But for some reason, this ignited this hatred. And when they um, showed him on the screen and gave him his, his, uh, his montage, Bulls fans booed. And obviously... Jerry Krause is not here no more. He's passed away. I think he passed away years ago in like 2017. And his widow was there. His wife, who he left behind, was there on his behalf. Like a lot of other players had sons or grandsons or nephews or sons um, in their spot. His wife had to sit there and hear him get booed by an entire United Center um, stadium. And for me, that's the line that I think is getting crossed in certain certain basketball or fandom um, situations where I think a lot of fans take a lot of this stuff too far and too much into heart. And I've been trying to tell fans for a long time, there's a certain line and certain push and pull effect that comes with fandom. Of course you root for your team. Of course you ride for your team through the highs and the lows. But at the end of the day, it's really just a game. And us who are fans just staying in my fandom spot for a second there is, there is nothing outside of that. It's just being a fan. There's no stock in this. We don't make any money from this. None of these franchises that we root for is giving us free tickets. None of them are paying any of our bills. None of them really know us by name. You might have an anomaly or an exception where you've been a season ticket holder for 27 years. And because of that, they know you because you spent X amount of dollars. But the typical normal fan who is rooting for a franchise in any sport they don't know us. And to be honest with you, I don't really think they care to know us. And I don't really think they care about us. What they care about is the financial gain that they get from us supporting their team. If we're just keeping it all the way buck, we're just another consumer in their meetings. When they speak of us, they're speaking about us as consumers and how they can make more money off of us. That's what they're doing. They're having meetings about their concession stand saying, is this reasonable? How how are they going to react if we mark these up by two more dollars where they notice? Are they going to notice if we make these ticket prices go up? What is something we can add to the stadium to give us a reason to mark these prices up? 
That's what they're thinking about. We view this as a sport that is based on wins and losses. And don't get me wrong, it is. But the other part that we don't think of, and for some of these teams and some of these franchises, depending on who you root for, the main part is that it's a business. It is a business. And the business is for them to make more money than they're spending so that they can have a profit. So while we're rooting and watching these games and praying for wins and praying against losses and really thinking of ways that our team could really be better, there's somebody behind our franchise and our team that we love so much that could care less about that win or that loss, but more importantly, the dollar amount that they made from that night. So when you take time out to do classless things like boo somebody who orchestrated the six championship rings teams that you have, you have to start to look look at yourself in the mirror and understand if you really truly know what goes on in these franchises that we root for. You have to start to look at that. And those are the things that I see on a constant day-by-day basis. If you're on Twitter and you're in the basketball community on Twitter, you, you see stuff every day. You see things every single day. People are following people's wives. They're sending messages to loved ones. They're saying some of the most disgusting, hateful things on Twitter or social media behind these accounts that nobody knows who runs. And it's like if these organizations are getting you that riled up based off wins and losses, then you have to, again, self-reflect. Because I'm telling you right now, there is not a lot, if any, franchises who are legitimately in it to win. Their win is their profit margin. And of course, if they can win a championship, they'll take it. I'm not saying that they're they don't care at all. If they can win while getting the profit, oh, even better. Because of course, the more you win, the more excuse you have to rise the prices up. Because now, for example, you look at the Golden State Warriors. Historically, the Golden State Warriors were not a good team. For majority of my lifehood or, 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 or my childhood, the Warriors stink. They were not that good. The, the greatest spot of the Warriors was, um, you know, Chris Mullins and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Mitch Richmond. And that team was cool and fun. They didn't hang any banners or do anything substantial besides that core. You know what I'm saying? Like run TMC. Like that, like that's that was that, right? Other than that, you didn't have the We Believe Warriors who knocked out the Dallas Mavericks in the first round as an eight seed. That was exciting, but again, that was a cultural team who did something that was dope. But they didn't really hang any banners or anything. And after that, they weren't they they really weren't that good, which is how they landed Steph and all of that. Right? As soon as this team got good. They found ways to X out the fans who were around for those days. They build the Chase Center. You look around at the front row or you look. I've been to the Chase Center. I've been to Warriors games. And I'm telling you right now, the people in those seats on the court side, those are people from Silicon Valley who are making millions and millions of dollars. That is not the typical fan who was around in the heydays before this team was winning. It's a conversational piece now to sit courtside an expensive game like that. That and that's what it is. As soon as they can find a way to make 
a profit margin, they're going to X you out unless you happen to be a super fan multimillionaire. They're going to X you out. But these are the same teams that we would allow to get us out of character and talk crazy on social media. You know, I've seen people post people's kids. I've seen people get death threats. We've seen some of the most disgusting things you can see with the introduction of social media into the sports world. And again, this is all behind the support of a franchise who at the end of the day really don't give a fuck about you. They really don't. And the minute they can, they will mark you out and put in somebody who has a deeper pocket than you. It's just the reality of what it is. So when I go and I see a Chicago Bulls fan base, Boo Jerry Krause, what, what are you really in it for? If you're in it for winning, he gave you six of those. He gave you six championships in a decade. Six. He deserves his credit as much as anybody else because without that entire organization, they don't win it. You, you don't win it without Phil. You don't win it without Mike. You don't win it without Scotty. You don't win some of those without Dennis. You don't win it without Jerry. It's not to say that Jerry deserves all of the credit, but damn, in a night like that where everybody's getting honored, I don't believe he's the one that should be getting booed. Especially when he's not here to defend himself. He wasn't even here to defend himself in the documentary. That was kind of distasteful. You should say what you say and throw in some facts, but I would have really left that part alone just because, again, he's not here to defend himself. You know? Everybody won't be liked. Everybody won't be loved. But the facts is the facts. That man had as much as to do with it as anybody else, because technically he is the orchestrator of that team. And I think a lot of people would be surprised um, to know how many GMs feel that way. You see these championship teams, you know, how many GMs feel that they are as responsible as the players. Because in their mind, I made this happen. I put y'all two together. That was me doing that. You know, how many coaches feel like, hey, I called those plays. I made that rotation. I called that sub. I called that timeout. Everybody feels a part of the winning. And fans get too mixed up on, well, he was the reason. You can't, you can't do this shit by yourself. You can't show me one player who's won a championship by himself. You can't. And that's that's going to be the way that I, I X out of that conversation. Because that's something that, that could be an entire episode, an entire conversation that can go on for hours. But I just really think that fandom right now in sports and I'm speaking on the NBA in the basketball community because obviously that's what I specialize in. But I just think that there's a line that constantly is getting crossed and crossed in today's sports world. And, and the fandom is a part of it. I think these organizations and these these teams and franchises have found a way to trick y'all to be too invested into a situation that they profit from. But they don't really care about it as much as you do. There's a lot of teams, man, who really don't care if they if they hang a championship banner. They don't care if they can. Cool. But if they if as long as they hit that profit and they're making that money to continue to live the life that they live in, that's all it is. That's why so many teams stay in that middle pack. It's why so many teams do the stupidest shit and, and you can't fathom it. Why would they do that? Why would they trade him? Why would they? That is why. Because they're not thinking about the championship like you are. And that's just the most perfect way I can I can end that. Um, one last thing I'll put in or, or I'll say before the main thing is Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard um, spoke about garbage time 
and was basically saying he doesn't see it as garbage time. He sees the NBA as high-level basketball. No matter when you're playing and when you're on the floor, you're it, it's it's the NBA. It's the it's the greatest level of basketball that can be. So there's really no such thing as garbage time. And I I really just bring it up because I think that that's an incredible uh, mindset to have, and I think that that's something a lot of kids in youth basketball should listen to, and a lot of coaches should understand and listen to too. Because I, again, I feel like this is a situation where it's a push and pull. Uh, when I watch youth basketball today, I scratch my head on a couple of things. I scratch my head, one, when I see players finally get in who maybe hadn't played before. And I look at them and I say, man, this 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 is a time where I would be going. I would be trying to do my thing. I would be trying to showcase something. I would be trying to get myself some some confidence or some rhythm. And I also look at it on the other side at, at the coaches, because there's a lot of coaches who wait. There's a lot of coaches who put players in with 50 seconds left in the game. And it was, and it's like, why would you ever do that? That's not enough time for a player to get a rhythm, get some confidence. That that's not that's not a fulfilling feel, you know what I mean? Versus having three or four minutes to go and work my move and, and get into a, ro- a rhythm or a flow. Um, and then, like I said, I look at players and I see them playing garbage time, and it's kind of just like passing, going through the motions. And but when you hear somebody like Peyton Pritchard, it's like, man, that's 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 high level basketball that's that's an opportunity for me to hoop at the end of the day and though high school middle school college may not be the nba it's still a time for you to hoop and i just love the perspective of somebody in the pros saying hey i'm not too good to play in garbage time i don't even consider it garbage time and if he as a professional who makes millions of dollars to play this game if he has that mindset if we can take that and put it into a lot of the youth players i think a lot of guys will see growth in their game to then make them compete for rotational minutes. So that was just something that caught my eye that was interesting. I would love to have um, a deeper in-depth conversation with multiple perspectives on that, especially players and youthful players, just to see how they feel. But uh, I think a lot of times there's, again, this healthy balance that's missing in that because you have coaches who, again, like I said, they wait and they try to put players in with 50, 45 seconds left in the game. I don't, I would never understand that if I was ever a coach or if I'm ever a coach, you probably never see me do that. Because, again, I just don't know if there's anything a player gains from not playing the entire game to then all of a sudden the last 40 seconds go play. That to me, that's that's damn near disrespectful to me. But if we're talking about a blowout win, blowout loss. And you have pretty much an entire fourth quarter or four or three minutes of a quarter to go out there and hoop. Then to me, that's something that a player can gain, whether it's experience, whether it's a rhythm, whether it's a showcase, whether it's an understanding of where to be in a different position or in a real game like simulation versus practice. There are things to take from that. And um, I just love, again, that somebody in the pros was able to speak out on it Um, for the main thing. The main thing, trade talk. We right now in, in the trade season of the NBA. It's beautiful. We actually had a move yesterday, um, a, a small earth-shattering, league-shattering trade where the Pistons were able to acquire Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. And in return, they sent the Wizards Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Livers, a 2025 second-round pick and a 2026 second-round pick. Um, cool trade. You know what I mean? I know a lot of us are sarc- sarcastic, especially on Twitter. Like, oh, my gosh league altering crazy move the pistons they get 64 million dollars in cap space this summer what exactly are they going to do with it i have not the slightest clue 
I have not the slightest clue. But hey, maybe what they can do is absorb some bad contracts and some trades, help facilitate some moves and get some more assets. Um, in my mind, they really need to start getting some players that are ready to play basketball and are ready to contribute on the NBA floor right now. So I think the blueprint was laid nicely by the Houston Rockets, where you go out and you use the money that you have and you spend it to just get better. Just get better. You know what I mean? Enough of the home run hits trying to you're not you're not getting Kawhi. He resigned anyway. But even if you did, you're not getting that level of player. You're not getting a Paul George or anybody like that. But if you can go out and find some guys who compliment the young guys that you feel confident about. And can play real minutes and set a tone as far as the locker room, how to win games, you know, to be around real veterans who have had some experience in this league. I think you can replicate some of what Houston did. If I'm a team like Detroit, if I'm a team like Washington, if I'm one of these young teams that haven't had, you know, winning seasons in, in, in a few years, I would look at Houston as a blueprint. They went out and they got a coach who was big on culture. Who knows exactly what he's trying to do and what he wants to accomplish. Then they went out and they spent money to make sure the things that the coach stands on, the certain principles that he he coaches by. They made sure that they went and got those things to only help him further solidify his culture and what he's trying to implement. And I think that was genius. When you go out and you get E-Man, you know he's a defensive-minded coach, and you know you have a youthful team that's going to be very hard to get on a page of defense or, you know, that type of standard. You have you didn't go out and you bring in Fred Van Vliet, a veteran guard who knows that standard and has played at that standard and has had success and he's going to come in and help the coach's philosophy stick within that locker room. You didn't go out and you bring in Dylan Brooks, another defensive minded player who has had success in his league and has experience in winning to come in and further solidify that philosophy throughout that locker room. You bring in a Jeff Green, again, another veteran presence who understands the importance of some of the things that Coach Ime is going to be laying down as far as culture, cultural philosophies. You know what I mean? And that's money well spent because now we're seeing the importance and the impact of having veteran voices that can come in and echo the coach's sentiments throughout the rest of the roster and locker room for those young guys to really understand it. And now we've seen the Rockets take major strides. Are the Rockets fighting for a championship? No. But the Rockets are making extreme progression after having some really, really down years. And even with their wins and losses being put to the side, there were certain stretches where they just weren't playing legitimate basketball. A lot of people around the league were saying this looked like an AAU team without any type of structure. And now you come in, you put in structure, you bring in vets, you bring in a coach that has philosophies and an understanding of what he wants to do. And it looks like an entire different team, an entire different team. And I think that's an important blueprint for other teams around the league um, to have. So hopefully with the Pistons opening up $64 million in cap for this summer, hopefully they can do the same type of, things that the Rockets did in some way, shape, or form to be able to bring in some legitimate veteran players who can help them get over that hump because 28-game losing streak, some changes have to come. Some changes have to be on the way. You know what I mean? Ch- Big-time changes have to be on the way. Um, and then for the Wizards, Marvin Bagley is somebody who 
Um, obviously, you, you, we thought he would have a much better career. Um, I was never a guy that was extremely that high on Marvin Bagley. I never thought that this guy was the next big star. But I definitely thought there was some way that he can have, you know, some type of success and some type of role. Right now, it just seems like a tweener between a small ball center or a power forward. Um, doesn't necessarily shoot the three at an amazing clip right now. So it's kind of like, what are you doing? Um we're also not in the, the era where we're dumping the ball into a guy like Marvin Bagley and necessarily letting him go to work. So it's really about just trying to find his footing and get some proper development and, and minutes. The Pistons did have a bit of a jog, a uh, log jam there at the center position with Durant and Wiseman and Bagley. And so now hopefully there are some minutes there for the Wizards to be able to give him and he could try to find his footing there. Um, I love it. Just it's just a chance, you know, just take a chance. And, um, yeah, like I said, the Pistons opened up $64 million. And I know the Pistons were also, their fan base at least, was happy to get rid of Isaiah Livers because he had them extremely frustrated. Maybe the Pistons uh, buy out Muscala or Gallinari and they can go and play for somebody that's playing valuable basketball uh, in a playoff sense. Uh, Now, for the main thing, main topic of today's show, I got five teams that I believe must make a trade. In this trade deadline season. These are teams that I really think, like I said, for different reasons. You're going to hear some teams that may surprise you to start off with. But then the, the more we get up, you'll be like, okay, yeah, this team definitely needs to make a trade. This is a time where I feel like there are certain organizations and certain teams are in places where they have no choice. Like desperate isn't even the word. And um, you'll we'll, we'll soon understand why or how they got there, because some of these teams make the same mistakes year in and year out. And there's no surprise that they get here. Um, but hopefully there's some um, awakening among these top franchises that we'll see. The first thing that I'm going to mention is I think the most surprising team that a lot of y'all will hear and probably be like, hmm, OK, I wasn't expecting to hear that. That's the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic have had an, a wonderful year. I think that they're. Ahead of schedule, you have to credit Jamal Mosley. Um, even within the injuries that they've had, he's found some guys to replace um, replace those minutes to, and they haven't missed a beat. You know, Wendell went out, and that center position with Badatse and uh, Mo Wagner, like, didn't miss a beat. Still were playing high-level basketball. The defense still stayed where it was at all year, which I think has been the most impressive part of this team, just their defensive tenacity and how they get after it on that end of the floor. Uh, Markel Fultz went down with injury. Didn't matter. Suggs, Cole Anthony, Anthony Black have all played a revolving door at that at that guard position, giving them some consistency there. Um, Jonathan Isaac has showed some, some flashes here and there when his number's been called. Um, even when Franz went down, Gary Harris, Caleb Houston has stepped up. I just love that type of team. When you have guys who can fall out of the rotation due, due to injury and miss chunks in time, usually it's like, damn, we missing our starter. But the the, ma- the magic have found a way to be able to have that next man up mentality. And I know that's a statement that's usually said a lot, but I really feel like sometimes it's just that. It's just a cool statement to say. But the magic this year have really embodied that and they're living by that. And because of that, I feel like it makes some of these guys on their team a little bit expendable. And just yesterday, we got from Mark Stein. He was saying that the Magic are willing and listening to offers for Wendell Carter and Markel Fultz. And the other day on the podcast, Numbers on the Board, we did a, a show doing trades for teams. And one of the trades I had was Terry Rozier going to the Magic um, in, in exchange for um, Markel Fultz and 
uh, maybe a pick or something like that. But I just love a situation like this for the Magic where they have expandable pieces. They have a legitimate core. And they're winning. I think there's guys on the market that they can bring in to help bolster them for the playoffs and to end up making the playoffs and and have um, a cap on this year that will you know signify success. And I look at around the league and I look at guys like Terry Rozier and I think Terry Rozier is kind of the perfect type of player that fits this because what he does is he brings in some scoring, he brings in perimeter shooting, he brings in experience, he brings in playoff experience. And he doesn't hinder what you have. You have Franz Wagner, you have Paolo, you have Jalen Suggs, you have Anthony Black. Terry Rozier doesn't affect any of that. He could play with the basketball. He could play without the basketball. He can be your third leading scorer one night. He can be your first leading scorer one night. And I think that's the type of guard that the Magic are in need of right now. And because they're not a free agency destination and because the market isn't going to be exploding with all of these pieces that could complement them, they have our team that is always going to have to try to take advantage of the trade market. And I think with, with right now's team having a chance to have some playoff, the taste of the playoffs, this is a good time to come in and swoop in on some of that back-end talent that's available on the trade market. Yeah, you're probably not going to be competing for the higher-up names. You're, you're not in the, the, the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes. No. You, you probably never were in the OG Ananobi sweepstakes. Seriously. You know what I'm saying? Um, who else is out there? You're probably not trying to get a Zach Levine at $40 million contract or anything like that. Yeah, no, DeJounte Murray, you probably don't want to give up that many assets to go out and get a guy like him. But a Hornets team, a Hornets team is probably willing, willing to part ways with a Terry Rozier to bring in some young talent. That's what it was. It was Markel Fultz. And it was Jed Howard. I think the Horn and maybe some type of pick, but I think the Hornets, the Hornets would love an expiring Markel Fultz contract. And then they could bring in a Jed Howard who hasn't really played for you, was the 11th overall pick, a jumbo shooter. He would fit in as far as spacing the floor for LaMelo and adding, adding some shooting. And that's what the Hornets need. And you don't have to part ways with an Anthony Black, somebody that you're probably extremely high on or something like that. You don't have to really entertain a Jalen Suggs move. This is a low maintenance move that puts you at a higher ceiling for the playoffs. And I think, again, the Orlando Magic is the type of team that I would love to see come in and take advantage of the trade market and some of the desperateness that some of these teams have. Um, The next team. A team that I think is in the same type of boat, but maybe at a higher level, and that's the Indiana Pacers. I think the Indiana Pacers are exactly like the Orlando Magic, but on a little bit of steroids. Because you have the season that Tyrese Halliburton is having, because you potentially could be in a playoff hunt, and because you have an abundance of movable pieces to land you something that can alter the team right now, I think they have to do it. They wanted OG. It was rumored that they wanted OG. Obviously, the Knicks came in and took that idea away from them. Cool. You still have a Raptors team who has Pascal Siakam there on the last year of his deal. I understand what comes with Pascal. You want him to be be able to feel comfortable enough to sign the, the, the contract extension um, to go forward and, and to stay with you. But I think they need somebody like him. I think what they're doing in the regular season is going to be just that. It's going to be regular season basketball. And I think a little bit of it can convey 
and do well um, in the playoffs. But the playoffs is going to be more of a half court game. Right. And it's going to be more of games where they're going to have to lock in defensively, which is something that they've struggled with. I think you come in, you add somebody like Pascal to that front court next to Miles Turner. It gives you some stability on the defensive end of the basketball court. And it gives you a little bit more weaponry um, for half court offense because you're not always going to be able to play this run and gun style that Tyrese Halliburton loves to play. Again, it's not that it's going to go completely out of the door, but you're going to have to dial it back just a little bit. And the half court threats that they have right now, they're cool and they're solid. But Pascal Siakam is an all NBA player and he would change the the dynamic of them completely. And he's still a guy who can get up and down with them for sure. That's how he, he, he made his name leaking out and getting out in transition. But I think he would be a viable option to have um, on that team for those half court moments and in the playoffs when the game kind of slows down. And again, I just think that they have assets that they not they shouldn't be so tied to. Right. So we know Buddy Hill has been an asset for them because of his expiring deal and because he's one of the best shooters in a game and every team will be looking for that. But you also have Jairus Walker, who's a lottery pick for you last year who hasn't really played much this year. And because of that, I think that there's a way for you to maybe part ways with, with him because you have, you don't have that attachment. You have this idea of what he could be in long-term plans. You know, you feel like you could have somebody that's special, but I think this team is kind of ahead of schedule where you have to kind of, you got to got to shoot for while you can, because like Orlando, Indiana historically isn't a place that free agents are dying to get to. And because every year the free agency market is getting thinner and thinner and thinner as far as major altering talent hitting the market. If I'm the Pacers, I'm looking at the trade market as my way and my avenue to really grow my team and get to the spot where I want to get to. Same sentiment for Orlando. And because you haven't grown any connection with Jairus Walker as far as play, you're just basing this off of potential. I would use that asset for right now. Because we've seen teams try to do this. We've seen teams try to compete and develop at the same time. The Warriors at a higher level, which is, again, they're a little bit of a different conversation than the Pacers, but it's still in the same type of content context. It didn't really go so well. You know what I mean? And I, I think a lot of franchises should watch that and learn from that and not try to have best of both worlds. You've had an amazing year so far. Um, obviously, you had some injuries around that has kind of slowed up some of the momentum that you had. But you legitimately look like a team that can that can make it to the playoffs. And I think if you add Pascal Siakam, that only solidifies that more. And and it allows you to have a better chance at competing in the playoffs because the way this team plays, they have a puncher chance against anybody in the East. Anybody. Look at how they played against Milwaukee all year long. And because Pascal is on the last year of his deal, you don't have to give the Raptors everything in your arsenal. You can give them Buddy Hill, Jairus, and one pick and call it a day. And if Pascal Siakam don't want to sign there, then I don't know what Pascal Siakam is going to do. Because Pascal Siakam don't want to sign with the Kings. Um, that's And it, it's not it's not going to be 15 teams lining up to get Pascal Siakam. You have the Kings that should have some interest. Maybe the Sixers in the offseason if they don't make a move now. Um, the Pacers... Uh, I really don't see him with the Lakers. Um, I, they were saying Chicago is a dark horse. But again, even then, I, I just don't see what Chicago would have that the Raptors would legitimately want. And that was only like four teams. 
I just don't see a bunch of teams lining at the door for Pascal Siakam's services at the price that he's probably going to want. So the few teams that do want you, you you, you got to start to consider them. So um, I like that for the Pacers. Even if it isn't Pascal Siakam, maybe it's another name I'm not thinking of that can be out there for them. They have to try to strike. You know, Laurie Markkinen is on the market. Strike, 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 strike. They're talking about they want an unmovable piece. Hey, let them think that Jairus Walker is your unmovable piece. He fits their timeline. Hey, boom. I know you have Taylor Hendricks. You probably was looking at um, Jairus Walker anyway. Offer it. Do something. Try to make it happen. Maybe they'll take both. Who knows? But again, this is a situation where I just feel like the the Pacers have to go out and make a move. You have to. It, you, it's too. You've been too good to just sit back on your hands and let the, the rest of these teams take advantage of the trade market. Um, in my opinion, this next trade, this next trade, or this next team that should make a trade, rather, they're a team that I wish could be higher. You know, for my top five teams, them being three kind of feels too low because I'm I'm so disappointed in this team. I really had this team being a top six seed out east. Like I thought they were going to have that type of year. I thought this team could be a bounce back, you know, candidate as far as teams that maybe didn't have the type of year that you wanted last year. I thought that they would figure things out. And it's the Atlanta Hawks. Um, the Atlanta Hawks has probably been the one of the most disappointing teams for me personally, um, as far as the expectations I had coming into the year. The fact that they haven't had any crazy, stupid uh, injury type significance to their their roster. Um, Obviously, Jalen Johnson went down uh, with an injury after he was hot and rolling. But for the most part, they haven't missed anybody for too significant of time. And I thought having Coach Quinn Snyder there for a full year now, things would change. I thought DeJounte and Trey would maybe have a better chemistry uh, playing next to each other. Um, and then with Jalen Johnson starting the year that he had, I'm like, man, this team really is going to put it together. And they just haven't. They haven't. They're not good. They're probably going to miss the playoffs. Um, Trey Young is playing like an all-star. He's playing really good basketball, but it probably won't get acknowledged because the Hawks aren't that good. They're at a point right now where everything is showing that they're probably 99.9% going to trade DeJounte. I have a legitimate source that told me He's definitely getting traded. And they told me that around Christmas, weeks ago, like a month ago. They told me, I guarantee DeJounte is going to be traded. And I, I believe that source uh, wholeheartedly. So, but my question is this. Is DeJounte enough? If you hypothetically trade DeJounte and it's to the Lakers like it's being rumored. You get Austin Reed, You get some type of package back that gets you Austin Reeves. What does that do? Is Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura changing the dynamic of the Atlanta Hawks going forward for the foreseeable future? This is a team that's not going to be satisfied with just making the playoffs anymore. This is a team that not that long ago was in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Eastern Conference Finals. And since then, they've had a a new coach. They went out and made the the move for DeJounte. They they made all of these moves that was like, okay, this is going to get them back on track. And we haven't seen it. And I just don't feel with some of these trades that I hear with with DeJounte, I don't don't feel like they alter anything for the Hawks. So that that, that asks me, 
why isn't DeAndre Hunter fully available like we've heard for DeJounte? And, and maybe he is. Maybe I am just don't know. Maybe I need to check in with that source of mine. But, like, for me, every it's not that everybody is available. Dog, everybody is on a block. I saw that they like Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. Those are the, No, it's not that they're those are the only untouchable pieces. No, everybody's on the block. It's one thing to say people are available. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up if you call for them. No, I need to move DeJounte. I need to move DeAndre. I need to move Clint. I need to move people. I, I need majority of these guys to not be on this team. The core of Trey, Clint, Hunter, uh, Double O, like we've seen that. It's not materializing to what we once thought it was. It's time to change the tides out in Atlanta. Trey, Jalen Johnson, uh, Aneka Kamu, if you really believe in him, hey, make him available if you're not going to believe in him and give him you know, any type of opportunity to start. Trade him. Bogdanovich, he is playing at a six-man-of-the-year you know, rate this year. Is he available? Are you keeping him? I just don't understand what's going on. And every time I hear about the talk, the 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 Hawks making trade talks or having trade talks, it's DeJounte, DeJounte, DeJounte. But I don't believe DeJounte is bringing you anything back that changes the trajectory of this team this year or next year. And they're not good, but they don't suck. So the draft pick... <laughs> Like, it ain't like, you know what I'm saying? It's not, I don't see them having like this crazy high draft pick because they're not that bad. And Trey Young is not going to ever let them get that bad. Like we talked about the Memphis Grizzlies. Hey, grand scheme of the things, Memphis Grizzlies, you'll have a top five pick that you can maybe bring in or try to flip and trade and get a Mikael Bridges. I don't, I don't, I don't think the Hawks pick will be that low. It's probably be like the Mavericks of last year where you get like the 10th or 11th pick or something like that. And hey, shout out to the Mavericks. They were able to get a Derek Lively. But also, they had got Kyrie last year. DeJounte ain't bringing you back a Kyrie-level player. I'm sorry. So I think they not only have to make the trade with DeJounte, I think they have to make a few trades at this trade deadline. Some of these guys, yeah, you can bring them into the summer or whatnot. But man, the trade deadline is the best because teams are desperate. Teams are so, so, so desperate to try to make one move or any moves to get one up on the competition to favor their chances into going into a playoff run. Look around. The Pacers would love to make a move. The Knicks still have a move to another move to make. People are saying, um, who else? The the Sixers are trying to make moves. The Lakers are desperate. Um, you know, like it's all the Kings. I, I don't know a team I can't name. The Golden State Warriors. Hey, I like I would really like knock on a Warriors door. You know, we we got DeJounte and Clint and Hunter. Like, let's do something monumental. Like, like, like let's do something that's really shaking up the league. Like, like, let's get some all-star players involved. Let's get some names. Let's get something going. We give we'll give y'all DeJounte Murray. We'll give y'all DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella. And y'all give us Kaminga. Um, shit, the Warriors don't have much, but you get what I'm saying. Let's add in the third team. Let's do something crazy, though. It's not, we shouldn't just trade. Hey, we're doing DeJounte and we're getting back D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. And hey, that's not going to do anything. It's not doing anything. And that's why I wish, I wish the Hawks could be higher. I wish they could be higher. Um, but right now I only have them third because I have two other teams that are a little bit more desperate than them. And at number two above the Hawks on my, 
top five teams that need to make a trade at the deadline or before the deadline. Um, the Golden State Warriors, who we just mentioned. Golden State. Terrible. Terrible basketball being played. Terrible. And they're finally getting Draymond back. He's going to play today on Martin Luther King Day. Um, Steph Curry had an interesting quote. They asked him, does the team does this team need to make a trade in so many words? And he says, man, if you keep doing the same thing, that's the definition. Uh, keep doing the same thing, trying to get different results. That's the definition of insanity. That's the greatest type of reply to a question like that. He didn't say no. He didn't say yes. Well, he kind of said yeah, but he said in a hidden way. Said in a slick, like, these motherfuckers need to do something. And I agree with him. And with Steph Curry saying that, we're not used to hearing Steph Curry talk like that, by the way. It should put pressure on the Warriors. Because he should be frustrated. They are wasting your time. He is a guy that should retire with the Golden State Warriors. He shouldn't have to request a trade or do none of that dumb shit. No. Trade these other motherfuckers who are not helping me. Clay is my dog. But... Wiggins helped us win a championship, but Kaminga and Moody don't want to be here because you know why? Steve Kerr keep benching them. Kaminga had 28 the other day and was on a bench for Wiggins, so he ain't did shit all year. Our center is Kevon Looney. Love him. It's not getting the job done. Draymond Green, we don't know when, we, we don't know when he's going to play, and when he does play, we don't, we don't know what he's going to do. He done choked, punched, kicked, wrestled. He done did everything except, I, I don't even, I'm not even going to say that. He done did everything under the lights, man, that you can do. Suspension here, suspension there, and definitely there. They need moves. And I'm talking significant moves. I had a trade mocked up for them on the Numbers on the Board podcast. What, it was a huge trade. It was something like the Warriors get Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, Torrey Craig, and maybe somebody else. And the Warriors give up Chris Paul, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. It was like an eight-player trade. That's the type of trade. And I'm not saying that specific one because I'm sure there's some better ones that could be out there. But those are the level of trades that I think these type of teams need. The Warriors need major shakeup. The same way I said about the Hawks is the same way I feel about the Warriors. They need major shakeups because I don't see you trading Jonathan Kaminga and getting somebody back that just changes the entire dynamic. A matter of fact, you had the chance. It was rumored that the Warriors didn't want to give up Jonathan Kaminga in a Pascal Siakam trade, which was mind blowing to me because Steve Kerr is playing a one. Steve Kerr does a little slick shit. He complains about minutes. Then he leads the team in minutes the very next game. Then they have a game where he scores 28 and he's on a bench in the fourth quarter. And a game you lost. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? I don't get, I just, I legitimately don't know what the Warriors are doing, y'all. Andrew Wiggins, what value does he have? Who wants him? Who wants Draymond Green? You're not going to trade Clay. If Clay leaves, it's going to be free agency. You're not going to trade Clay. Who want like what value does Moses Moody have? The only guy that has some value for you is Jonathan Kaminga. And still, even with that, I don't know how much value he has to bring back somebody that can change the the whole thing that's going on. 
outside of Pascal, but y'all don't want Pascal at that price of Jonathan Kaminga. Okay, so cool. So who do you want then? You think you're going to get LeBron for Kaminga? <laughs> Pascal is like the best thing you're going to get. If you don't want Pascal for Kaminga, I don't know what you're expecting. Kawhi Leonard ain't walking through that door, y'all. I'm just I'm just keeping it real. I, I really don't know what's going on with the Warriors. I'm questioning Steve Kerr's um, his longevity as the coach. I, I, I have to start considering questions all around. Steph Curry is too good of a basketball player, and it's too good currently to be dealing with this. And the number one team, the most desperate team, the, the team that needs to make the move the most, is the Los Angeles Lakers. The only reason they're above the Warriors is because I don't I don't even know what where the Lakers' problems are coming from. Like the Warriors, yeah, Drake, they've been missing Draymond. They've had some incredible distractions. They've had some incredible, like, unpredictable things go. The Lakers, everybody's for the most part has been there. Jared Vanderbilt has probably missed the most games. He he plays less than 20 minutes, and he's averaging 2.6 points. So don't don't sit here, Laker fans, and try to convince me that y'all season is not where you thought it would be because Jared Vanderbilt missed you know 19 games. Don't please don't try to convince me that. Don't. Reeves has been healthy. He's played in every game, if I'm not mistaken. I think LeBron has maybe missed four games. Anthony Davis has missed two. The lack of consistency with their rotations. The fact that Darvin Ham, he feels the heat as a coach of the Lakers because that's just been the Lakers' way. And now you got your coach, he don't even feel secure in his spot, so now he's constantly changing the lineups. And him constantly changing the lineup is not letting guys like D'Angelo Russell and whatnot get rhythms. One minute you're starting, one minute you're coming off the bench, one minute you're closing a fourth, one minute you're sitting on the bench. It's constant, constant, constant changes. And for some of those players and a lot of those players, the rhythm is what they're trying to catch. And it's hard for them to catch a rhythm when they're not knowing what to expect on a game-by-game basis. But on the other hand, I understand Darvin Ham because you know if you don't if you don't bring the results for the Lakers, man, you could be out of your job fast. He's looking at the person that he replaced. Frank Vogel brought a championship and still got his ass fired when I didn't even think it was his fault. Go back to those Lakers years that they fired him based on. Look how many games Anthony Davis played. Look how many games LeBron played. They still said, hey, see you later. So Darvin Ham can't get comfortable in his seat. I get it. The three-point shooting, not there. Not there. The offense, atrocious. Lakers offense is atrocious. They're being linked right now to DeJounte Murray. I'm seeing Laker fans get delusional where they're like, man, if there's some way we can get DeJounte, Hunter, and Clint, that'll feed families. Y'all don't have shit in that roster that's going to get y'all anything close to that. But I think they got to stop trying to make these splashy moves. Right? I think it's okay to make the Torian Prince moves. You know what I mean? Every move ain't going to be the home run hitting sexy move. He signed with Clutch. He's making this. His jersey sells this. He has this many appearances in an all-star game. I, I don't, I don't, at some point they have to learn from that. At some point. The Russell Westbrook trade showed us that. The name chasing has to at some point stop. And I love that they do the clutch thing, but that has to stop too. If it don't fit, it don't fit. Whether they were clutch or not, this team has needs. And the, the, 
unfortunate thing is I just don't think that there's a, a trade out there realistically that does it does it for him. I would love Zach Levine as a third option on the Lakers, but then the, the defense goes down. So then it's like, I would love for them to be able to get Zach Levine and Caruso. Probably not happening. Mm-mm. Love DeJounte Murray, but you're going to need some shooting. So you want to add Hunter that? Not happening. So it's like that perfect player that they need is just not out there. They need guys that once played for them. They need a KCP. They need a Caruso. You know what I mean? Like they need those players. They just, I, I don't know how they get them. I really don't. I really don't know how to get them. So I think the Lakers are going to be asked out. I think they're going to be desperate. They're going to get DeJounte Murray. Hopefully they can get Bogdan Bogdanovich in that trade. But again, if I am the Hawks, if I am these other teams, why am I giving the Lakers all of this shit just to get back Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell or Rui Hachimura? Seriously? If I'm the Bulls, does that seriously do it for me? Because it, it to me, it doesn't. To me, why am I helping the Lakers in any way? Why? Why am I doing it? Y'all let me know in the comments how y'all feel about the five teams. Let me know teams that y'all think of. Um, if y'all do, send me them trades, man. Send me the trades. I know a lot of y'all be having them cooked up. Some of y'all be sending some crazy ones. But I, I, I want to see some of the trades y'all have, especially if they're lined up with these five teams the closer we get to the trade deadline i'll probably do an episode or a segment in one of those episodes where i go over um y'all trades i'll probably put something on twitter but for this for this specific video let me know if y'all have trades for these five teams or teams that y'all think fit this teams that y'all look at and y'all say man this team has to make a trade now right now before this deadline in this period not wait until the off season not next year but now in the next few weeks this team needs to make a trade I'm going to be in the comments looking for that. As always, I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a wonderful day. Enjoy the time off. Enjoy the games. And again, enjoy, uh, you know, thinking about and uh, honoring the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. As always, I will see y'all next episode. I am Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. This is the Heliocentric Podcast. I'm out. Peace.